0: Hello, this is Dr. Pengshan chien the Editor-in-Chief of Heart Rhythm. The October 2022 issue of the journal is our annual focus issue on sudden death. The first article is Malignant Purkinje Ectopy Induced by Sodium Channel Blockers. Sodium Channel Blocker infusion is used to unmask the ECG pattern of Brugada syndrome. The authors review the Sodium Channel Blocker tests performed in 335 patients with suspected ventricular arrhythmias. 16 patients showed short-coupled PVCs. The patterns were monomorphic in 12 patients, originating from the Purkinje system in mapped patients. Repetitive PVCs were induced in 15 patients, or 94%, including polymorphic VTs in 9, or 56%. The authors conclude that sodium channel blocker can induce short-coupled PVCs, mostly from Purkinje tissue, in a small subset of patients with idiopathic ventricular arrhythmias. Its high reproducibility suggests a direct individual mechanism. A second paper is titled "Predicting Arrhythmia Recurrence Following Catheter Ablation." for ventricular tachycardia using late gadolinium enhancement, magnetic resonance imaging. Implications of varying scar ranges. Threshold-based analysis LGE-CMR can create scar maps and identify corridors that might provide a reentrant substrate for VT. The purpose of this study was to investigate the impact of four different threshold settings on scar and corridor quantification, and to correlate this with post-ablation VT recurrence. A wider pixel signal intensity, or PSI, threshold was associated with an increase in border zone mass and a decrease in scar. The best correlation in predicting original recurrence was observed for PSI 45 to 55. The authors conclude that the variant PSI has a significant impact on quantification of LGE-CMR parameters and may have incremental clinical value in predicting arrhythmia recurrence. Up next is skin sympathetic nerve activity and ventricular arrhythmias in acute coronary syndrome. The authors prospectively studied 128 acute coronary syndrome, or ACS, and 165 control participants. In the control group, women have higher average skin sympathetic nerve activity, or SKNA, than to men at baseline, but not during mental stress, suggesting women had a lower sympathetic reserve. In comparison, ACS is associated with equally elevated average SKNA in women versus men at baseline. The adjusted odds ratio for VT and VF is 1.23 for each 0.1 microvald average SKNA elevation. Average SKNA is positively correlated with plasma norepinephrine level. The authors conclude that ACS is associated with elevated average SKNA, and the magnitude of elevation is associated with the occurrence of VT and VF. Women have higher average SKNA and lower SKNA reserve than men among controls, but not among patients with ACS. The next article is characterization of right ventricular substrate participating in post-infarction ventricular tachycardia. The authors revealed 1,279 patients with post-infarction VT undergoing castor ablation. Cases with critical RV substrate is defined by conclusive demonstration of participation in VT during sinus rhythm. The critical RV substrate was identified in 27 of 1,279 patients, or 2.1%. The authors conclude that the RV contains critical substrate elements of post-infarction VT in at least 2.1% of cases. RV mapping should be considered in cases in which LV mapping fails to demonstrate adequate targets particularly in patients with LBBB morphology VT. The next one is terminal end of aortic root branch, an unrecognized origin for proximal left anterior fascicle premature ventricular complexes with narrow QRS duration. PVCs with narrow QRS duration, inferior frontal plane QRS axis, and RBBB pattern generally originate from the proximal segment of the left anterior fascicle. 22 patients with assumed proximal left anterior fascicle vPVCs were enrolled in the study. During sinus rhythm, a cluster of fascicular potentials could be found at the most superior portion of the left ventricle. These potentials represented the terminal end of a discrete branch of left vascular system, which the authors named retro aortic root branch. PVCs could be eliminated by ablation from the right coronary cusp in 45.5% or 10 of 22 cases. In the remaining cases, ablation at the early activation site in the LV endocardium successfully abolished PVCs. The authors conclude that the terminal end of the retro root branch was the actual origin site of PVCs with inferior frontal plane axis, RBBB pattern, and narrow QRS duration. The following article is magnetic resonance imaging and histopathology of castor ablation lesions after ventricular tachycardia ablation in patients with non-ischemic cardiomyopathy. 26 patients who had undergone CMR imaging after VT ablation were included. Areas of both dark and bright core lesions correlating with previous radiofrequency ablation lesions were identified. Histology was performed on an expanded heart. 23 of the 26 patients demonstrated dark core lesions with transmurality of 42% overlaying areas of intramural or transmural LGE. Both dark and bright core lesions were visualized on standard clinical LGE-CMR imaging obtained in acute setting and chronic settings. The histopathological analysis demonstrated coagulation necrosis in the area that corresponded to dark core lesions in the post ablation CMR. The authors conclude that ablation lesions can be detected by LGE CMR after VT ablation in non ischemic cardiomyopathy patients and have a different appearance than scar tissue. These lesions can be observed in acute and chronic settings after ablations. Up next, is analysis of site-specific late potentials using a novel Holter signal average electrocardiography in patients with Brugada syndrome. 20 consecutive symptomatic and 21 asymptomatic patients with Brugada syndrome who underwent the investigation using conventional signal average ECG and a novel unipolar Holter signal averages ECG system were enrolled. During mean follow-up of 76 months, 10 patients, or 24%, had the cardiac events. On the Holter Signal Average ECG system, RMS-40, indeed V2, in the third intercoastal space at the night time, was significantly lower in the symptomatic group than in the asymptomatic group. The hazard ratio of daytime and nighttime RMS-40 Indeed, 3L to V2 of less than 7.7 microvolt and less than 6.1 microvolt were 7.58 and 6.14, respectively. The authors conclude that the site specific late potentials, indeed 3L V2, measured using the novel Holter signal average ECG system, may be a useful marker for high risk patients with Bugatta syndrome. Up next is the value of genetic testing in the diagnosis and the risk stratification of arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. The authors included 402 subjects who were diagnosed with definite ARVC. A total of 232 subjects, or 58%, fulfilled genetic testing criteria. Removing the genetic criteria, causes loss of diagnosis in 18 patients, or 4%, and delay of diagnosis by greater than 30 days in 22 patients, or 5%. Time-to-event analysis showed no significant difference in time from diagnosis to malignant ventricular arrhythmias between pathogenic variant carriers and non-carriers. The authors conclude that disregarding the genetic criterion for the task force criteria, caused loss or delay of diagnosis in 10% patients with ARVC. Malignant ventricular arrhythmias occur in 1% of cases with loss or delayed diagnosis 3 of 4 and 2, none of them fatal. The next article is Spectrum and Prevalence of Side Effects and Complications with Guideline Directed Therapies for Congenital Long QT syndrome. Retrospective analysis was performed on 1,310 patients with type 1-2-3 long QT syndrome. Beta blockers were used in 1,102 or 84%, sodium channel blockers in 104 or 8%, left cardiac sympathetic denervation in 197 or 15%, and an ICD was used in 251 or 19% patients. Overall, 727 or 55% patients reported at least one treatment associated side effect and complications. Although Long QT syndrome triggered sudden cardiac death is uncommon in properly treated patients, this study demonstrates that contemporary guideline directed therapies for Long QT syndrome are not innocuous. Their treatment related side effects are not trivial and should compel an ongoing quest for new long QT syndrome therapies. Up next is cardiac crisis, cardiac arrhythmias, and cardiomyopathy during TANGO2 deficiency-related metabolic crisis. TANGO2 or TANGO2 deficiency disorder is an autosomal recessive disease associated with metabolic crisis lethal cardiac arrhythmias, and cardiomyopathy. The authors report 27 children who were admitted for 43 cardiac arrest uh, crises at 14 centers. During the crisis, QTC prolongation occurred in all, and the type 1 Brugada pattern in 8. Arrhythmias induced VT in 21 or 78%, SVT in 3 or 11%, and heart block in 1 or 4%. 20 or 74% experienced a cardiac arrest there were 10 deaths or 37% six related to arrhythmias the authors conclude that tango 2 deficiency disorder related cardiac crisis are associated with high risk of arrhythmias cardiomyopathy cardiac arrest and death acutely intravenous magnesium isoproterenol uh, atrial pacing and uh, ECMO has, as a last resort, seem to be the best current management options. The above original articles are followed by two research letters. The first one is titled Mitral Valve Abnormalities in Decedents of Sudden Cardiac Deaths Due to Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy and Idiopathic Left Ventricular Hypertrophy. The authors report that Mitral Valve Abnormalities were identified in 22% of decedents of certain cardiac deaths attributed to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and in 5% to idiopathic left ventricular hypertrophy. His second research letter is titled, Dependence of Epicardial T-Wave on Local Activation Voltage in Brugada Syndrome. The also found a strong correlation between the amplitude of local activation and the depth of the negative epicardial T-wave in Brugada syndrome. In addition to the above sudden death focused articles, the journal also published regular articles on this issue. The first one is titled Temporal Trends of Device Related Infection in De novo Transvenous Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillator Medicare Patients with Underlying Kidney Disease. Medicare administrative and claims data were used to identify patients who underwent De novo Transvenous ICD implantation between 2016 and 2018. Overall, 809 of 42,200 patients, or 1.9%, had at least one device infection during mean follow-up of 66 weeks. The incidence of infection increased during the first 8 to 12 weeks and declined thereafter. The authors conclude that the incidence of infection after de novo transvenous ICD implantation is higher when patients have kidney disease and is substantially higher when patients are dialysis dependent. The second second article is management of older patients with unexplained, recurrent traumatic syncope and bifascicular block. Implantable loop recorder versus empiric pacemaker implantation results of a propensity-matched analysis. A total of 309 consecutive patients were enrolled. Propensity matching yielded 89 matched pairs. After median follow-up 33 months, empiric pacemaker implantation was associated with a significantly lower risk of syncope recurrence than ILR monitoring. A total of 35 patients or 39.3% who underwent ILR monitoring developed bradyarrhythmias requiring pacemaker implantation during follow-up. The authors conclude that in patients with unexplained recurrent traumatic syncope and bifascular block, empiric pacemaker implantation significantly reduced the risk of syncope recurrence in comparison with ILR monitoring. A high rate of patients who underwent ILR monitoring developed arrhythmias requiring pacemaker implantation. The next one is clinical impact of ECG change on oversensing of subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillators. The authors retrospectively enrolled 99 consecutive patients who underwent SICD implantation. Oversensing events were observed in four of six patients with ECG change, or 67%, and three patients underwent SICD removal because of an inevitable shock. uh, Contrastingly, of the remaining patients without ECG change, all seven patients who experienced oversensing events could continue using SICD with the reprogramming and or restriction of excessive exercise. The authors conclude that unavoidable oversensing resulting in SICD removal is caused by ECG change. Oversensing in patients without ECG change can be managed. Up next is performance of the American Heart Association American College of Cardiology Heart Rhythm Society versus European Society of Cardiology guideline criteria for hospital admission of patients with syncope. The purpose of this study was to directly compare the safety and efficacy of applying admission criteria of both guidelines to patients presenting with syncope to the emergency department in two multi-center studies with a total of 4,600 patients. The authors found that ACC, AHA, HRS, and ESC guidelines showed disagreement regarding admission for one in four patients and had only modest sensitivity for 30-day major adverse cardiovascular events. These findings indicate opportunities for improvements. Up next is stimulation of the mitochondrial calcium uniporter mitigates chronic heart failure-associated ventricular arrhythmia in mice. The purpose of the study was to investigate whether enhanced calcium uptake of mitochondria may compensate for an abnormal increase in intracellular calcium of ventricular myocytes in heart failure to effectively mitigate ventricular arrhythmias. The authors used the heart failure mouse model in which myocardial infarction was induced by permanent left anterior descending coronary artery ligation. The mitochondrial calcium uniporter was stimulated by Kempfro, a polyphenol antioxidant found in fruits and vegetables. The results show that treatment of cardiomyocytes with kempferol isolated from heart failure mice 28 days after coronary ligation reduced the appearance of aberrant diastolic intracellular wave, calcium waves and sparks and spontaneous action potentials. Kempferol Effectively reduced ventricular arrhythmia occurring in Langendorf perfused hearts. The effects of chemtrail in heart failure of mice implied that mitochondria may have the potential to compensate for abnormal intracellular calcium. Mechanisms involved in mitochondrial calcium uptake may provide novel targets for treatment of heart failure associated ventricular arrhythmias. The next article is a Contemporary Review titled, How Does the Cardiac Impulse Pass from Sinus to the Atrioventricular Node? The authors summarize the evidence that shows it is the aggregation of working atrial myocytes within the atrial walls that underscores preferential anisotropic interatrial conduction. We also published four research letters. The first one is air entrapment as a cause of SICD inappropriate shock. The authors conclude that air entrapment should be considered an early complication and an uncommon cause of inappropriate shock in SICD recipients. The next letter is multi-detector computed tomography identification of previous ablation lines, insights for left atrial flutter ablation. The authors propose that the multi-detector computed tomography Determine the LA wall thickness may facilitate LA flutter ablation procedures. A third one is using a single steerable sheath for simultaneous left atrial appendage occluder implantation and pulmonary vein isolation. The authors demonstrated the feasibility of using a single steerable sh- uh, deflectible sheath for LAA occluder implantation and PVI in a combined procedure. The next letter is titled Predictors of Loss of Capture in Left-Bundle Branch Pacing, A Multi-Center Experience. The authors found a three-fold increase uh, hazard of loss of LBB capture of stylet-driven extendable retractable helix lead than luminous fixed helix lead. The final article is the 2022 HRS expert consensus statement on the evaluation and the management of arrhythmic risk in neuromuscular disorders. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm the Editor-in-Chief, Dr. peng Chen.